Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. waiting to talk to this guy for a, a while now uh dave milliken who is the uh championship belt maker extraordinaire and what an interesting vocation to be in dave kind of tell us a little bit how that even started in the first place chris i'll tell you it uh i grew up just outside of of memphis tennessee you know, and I grew up in a time when you couldn't just go on, hop online and get a, uh, a WWE or an AEW replica championship belt. So if you wanted something, you had to make it. <laughs> uh, and those those early materials were, oh, that's uh, that's <laughs> well, you know, we, we're talking about some cardboard here and some. some oh, sure. Everybody that was a wrestling fan made the cardboard wrestling belt for sure. I had one. Absolutely too. how it started. And we just uh, kept going with it. And, and uh, the materials got a little better. And and that's that's really it. I mean, we uh, that was the, the how it got started as far as on the grassroots level. And then as uh, you know, I got I got I wanted it to be better. So as I keep going forward, I was like, I can really do this for real. And Reggie Parks was the pinnacle. Uh, Reggie Parks was the man making uh, the the championship belts when when I was growing up. Sure. And so I contacted him. I just I just wanted a Reggie Parks belt. And he opened some doors for me, and and we were off and running. It's interesting. Yeah, obviously, Reggie Parks is like the famous, uh, famous for two reasons. One, he made all the championship belts up to a certain point, and two, it's one of my all-time favorite Owen Hart ribs, where Owen yes. called Stu <laughs> when Stu was at one of the hotels for WrestleMania and claimed it was Reggie Parks, yes, and said he could uh, he could. <laughs> <laughs> Reggie loved that story and, and repeated it often. Tell the story from your end. Uh, Owen calls up Stu and, uh, and he's, he's doing his Reggie Parks impression. He says, uh, well, see, you know, Stu, I, I kind of always felt like I could take you. I really thought, uh, <laughs> I, just, I just wanted you to know, Stu, that uh, you really thought Dungeon and all, I could, I could take you anytime. And, uh, you know, of course, Stu's going to get hot pretty quick, right? So he's like, hey, Reg, if you wanted to take me, Reg, why didn't you just try me? Why didn't you just try me, Reg? <laughs> and Reggie loved that story and went right down to mimicking the Stu voice, which he was much better at than I am. That's a great – I've never heard the Re- Reggie Parks story. Yeah, I always remember Brett telling that story. Reggie, if you thought you were so tough, why don't you come down and try me? I'm waiting for yeah, any time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the stew down much better than I do. So, so Reggie Parks was was a was a wrestler, 
And then he got into making belts as well. That was, he was kind of like you said, he was the guy that you went to if you wanted to get a championship uh, title made. So you just contacted him out of the blue as a fan? I did. I'd been selling belts, you know, to the, these days, they're indie shows. And in my days, they were outlaw Uh shows. If you weren't part of the, you know, one of the alliances, then you're an outlaw Mm -hmm. show. And so I, I had sold some to the outlaw guys and that sort of thing. You know, I never really thought about doing it full time. I just I wanted a Reggie Parks belt because that was the pinnacle. And uh, so in conversation after calling Reggie, he says, you know, why don't you just do this like I do? I said, well, I'd love to. And he said, send me some pictures of what you've done. And I did. You know, in in those days, you didn't you didn't text them or email them. You just you had to mail them off. So he called me about a week later and he said, there's a lot of potential here. I'd help you out if you're interested. And I just, I was blown away. I, I didn't, I never asked mm. for that. And he opened some doors and, and kind of figuratively held my hand through the process of learning about etching plates, a, a leather tip here or there. But mostly I, I learned myself uh, by looking at Reggie's stuff. And it just, it just grew from there. And he said, uh, you know, one thing led to another and he said, get some orders and, and let's see what you can do. And he said, but, and Reggie was the easiest going guy in the world, man. He was just so easy going, but he, he had standards and he said, uh, and this is the, I'm going to quote it the way he said it to me. And he said, you wouldn't put the Mona Lisa in a shitty frame, would mm. you son? Right. <laughs> and I said, no, sir, I sure wouldn't. And he said, okay. He said, so I want to, I want to tell you a couple of things about leather and I want you to follow those things. And, and that's the framework. That's your frame for these championship plates. And I always remember that. So, you know, more, more advice like that than anything, than hands-on. Because we, we were he was in Tucson and I was in West Tennessee at the time. So when you first started, even before you started talking to Reggie, I mean, you know, you mentioned you know, cardboard belts that we made as kids. But even when you're starting to make them for the Outlaw Fe- Federations, what was your original, like, h- how do you do that even for a lower level belt? Because we've, we've seen them all. I mean, I've seen the biggest, greatest championship belts for, you know, the AEW championship or the W championship. And I've seen the little ones at a, you know, a little place in, in Mexico City at a little bar or whatever it may be. So when you're starting, how do you start? Like, okay, I have the Chris Jericho Wrestling Federation and I'm going to be wrestling in Tupelo on Sunday and I need a, I need a championship <laughs> title. And, and I'm, I'm not talking about in 2023, but I'm saying, when did you start? You started in the '90s or the '80s, or I technically started. I, I I would have started making them in the early '80s. By the time I was actually selling them, you're talking uh, late '80s, early '90s. So, were you making them originally just as a hobby for yourself? Correct. Yeah, myself and my friends, and and little bragging rights. We'd have little different. You know, we we'd uh, wrestle, we'd fight, uh, we'd have uh, swimming pool dunking competitions. If you got dunked three times, you lost, <laughs> and and whoever whoever won got to take the belt. Oh, that's home. great. So we did them for a little bit of everything. But moving into that process, I had an uncle that worked in a shop where he could cut uh, steel plates out for me. And I would hand draw templates out and he would go and just cut them out with a, with a cutting torch and taught me how to sand them down and make them shiny. And I would use everything from trophy pieces to uh, the stuff called embroidery paint, which will raise up surfaces. And, you know, it's not just a paint. It has texture. And, and so it was very primitive. It was things like that. Uh, and then we moved into less embroidery paint, more trophy parts on these steel plates. That's, you know, where I was at when I connected with Reggie, because I had no idea mm-hmm. how those uh, Reggie parts plates were made. And I never asked 
he just said it was time for somebody else to learn. And uh, fortunately, I was a, I made the right call at the right time, I guess, because I never one time said, I always called him Mr. Reg. I said, Mr. Reg, you know, I never asked you to help me. Why, why would you? And he said, because I always I wanted somebody else that would be nice to people. That, hmm. That's a, that's the, what he said what, as to why he handpicked me if I was interested to kind of take this over. So you're basically the, the, the Reggie Parks was your mentor. You were the heir apparent to hand over the wrestling championship title business to you. Yeah. Yeah. And and and, and I was blown away because, again, I never asked for that. And uh, that doesn't mean I'm any less grateful for it. But I never asked for that. I wanted a belt. And if he was going to pass along, you know, a hint or a tip or two, then that was awesome. But I just I wanted a Reggie Parks belt, which is I don't think actually where I'm at. You can't maybe you can't see it. Anyway, it's it's on the wall. It's on the wall here. I have it back. Uh, it was actually used and traded off to Jerry Lawler in Memphis and used uh, for a couple of years in the, the later years of the USWA. And then I was able to get it back years later. So I have it. I have I have Reggie Parks first belts mm. ever on my wall and I have my first Reggie Parks belt on my wall because without Reggie, there's no me. So do you collect belts as well? I do. There's probably a hundred or so in this room I'm sitting in right now, but I I have, I can always make another belt. So while I do have some out here that I've made, you know, I've got, um, I don't know, 20 some odd Reggie Parks belts out here too, because to me, that's, uh, that's still the Holy grail for me. I mean, you know, I'm not a mark for myself, but I'll always be a mark for Reggie. <laughs> Have you ever uh, heard of about Dan Lambert's uh, collection of, of belts? Dan is a great friend of mine, and no I've kidding. helped him. I've helped him uh, acquire uh, a lot of those, a lot of those uh, famous belts that he has, and happily, happily so. Just one of the best guys ever. Yeah, he has an amazing. Actually, on the Jericho Cruise, which we'll talk about, because you made the, this one right here, right beside me. That's your belt right there, the yes, Jericho Cruise uh, <laughs> exclusive VIP championship titles you make. But Dan's going to do a whole presentation of uh, of his world titles on the cruise. Dan Lambert's uh, wrestling title, Time Machine, or whatever we're calling it. And really interested to hear the stories behind all of them. Um, and I didn't realize that you helped him procure a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. And man, just he's just one of the best guys ever and so passionate about it. Uh and, and I still hear from Dan sometimes. It's it's slowed down a lot because he's got everything. <laughs> but 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 sometimes I'll I'll get a text and he'll say, Hey, is this one real? And uh, that's also something that I that I do for friends of mine that are high end collectors. It's it all authenticates something. Um or or not, you know. <laughs> How can you tell if something's real or not? There's just a lot of earmarks, um, both on uh, makers' marks and uh, makers, you know, ways of doing things, as well as and and nobody's going to know this better than you. But you know, when a belt's ring used, it usually really shows, <laughs> yeah. you know. And so, if you know the right things to look for, and people have gotten better at faking those things, just like they uh, do in any other. You know, if something's worth money, people are going to fake right. it, right? Uh, so the bo- the bootleg belt business is is huge. Really, it is. And you know, you know, I guess I guess you know you've arrived when your your leather name stamp has been copied, and Reggie's was copied, and mine is copied, and uh, there's even a guy in Ohio who used to make belts, Joe Marshall, and they've you know, some of the bootleggers even copied his old name stamp for the work he did for WWE back in the day. So do you put a name stamp on every single title? 
I'm looking to see if there's one on this one. I can't see a name stamp on this one, I don't think. Uh, there, there might be a spade on that one. Sometimes I use a spade maker's mark. Oh, and sometimes like on the, it's oh, right there, the spade on the... Oh, there it is. Yeah. Dave Milliken, yeah. Yeah. I never noticed that before. So that's kind of your signature, like an artist signing his uh, painting. It is. And that's been copied, but I still know the real ones from the fake ones. So, you know, that's that's the, the kind of thing that a guy like Dan, who's going to put out a lot of money on something doesn't want to get a hold of something that's that's fake and that's happened more than once where somebody would would try to sell him something that uh you know i could look at and tell him why it wasn't legitimate discover why critics are calling kingdom of the planet of the apes the best film of the franchise what a wonderful day it's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible i need to go hang on it is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. So when you started, uh, you got your R Reggie Parks title and you started working, you know, making these titles for, for the indie shows. What was kind of your first big break uh, in making belts? I think probably getting to be friends with Jerry Lawler. He was the first guy to ever put anything that I did on television, which was at the time really just fixing up some of his old belts. But he believed in me and gave me a chance. And, you know, there was no big initiation, no big, uh, well, can you do this or can you do that? It was like, okay, you know, I've seen your stuff. Hey, man, take these USWA tag team belts and put them on new leather for me and, and polish them up. I don't like that paint scheme. We changed mm. that for me too and that kind of thing. And so we started there until it was time to start replacing belts. And then, you know, that's where I got, got the shot a little bit more. But it still really started – with uh, Jerry putting my stuff out there and, and being willing to, to do that and and also endorse me to other people in the business that were interested in or needed some work done. So when you mentioned that, like, okay, so now you're fixing up the USWA tag titles and now you have to make one. I'm, I'm assuming what you said, you have to make a new title for, or whatever it is. That, so are you in charge of the design of this and kind of how do you go about that? Yeah. in that, in that case, cause it was a time, of course, this is already into the late nineties and I've done some other stuff uh, outside of Memphis really, but nothing notable. And if it was shiny and it looked good on television, right, right, that's right, all right, they right, cared right. about, you know, it was, then nobody was, nobody was micromanaging. And really that's the Reggie way too. I mean, so many designs that people look at are, you know, iconic championship belt designs were an afterthought to Reggie because, you know, the, the classic winged Eagle title, they call it the, you know, the Bret Hart belt or the, the Shawn Michaels or the people you associate that winged Eagle title belt with was a phone call from chief Jay Strongbow to Reggie saying, we want a belt where the Eagle consumes the main plate. Hmm. And the rest of it was Reggie and his team. And it kind of, in Memphis, it was the same way. It's like, uh, we need a new USWA heavyweight belt. What can you do for us? <laughs> You know, right, 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 right. and that and that was it. It was just left up to me, which um, you know was pretty easy to do in those days. There was no micromanaging. So just that eagle belt, the last person to ever hold it was me. Is that? Oh, the, you had the bigger one. You had the you had the Joe Marshall. Okay, so yeah, there you go. That was the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You had the bigger. You had the upgrade. The one that uh, started with uh, with Stone Cold. Yeah, uh, my gosh, too. You know, 
speaking of championships, to beat the Stone Cold and the Rock in one night. Come on, well, man. And, and the funny <laughs> thing was, so for that whole time frame of being the undisputed champion, I had to carry the the, the Eagle, which you said it's the Joe Joe Marshall, yeah, Joe Marshall, and then there was also the WCW title as well, right? Which was cast off the old original Ric Flair belt, heavy, both of them just heavy as hell, very very heavy. So I had to carry all. And listen, I'm not complaining, but I, for about four months, I had to carry both of those through the airports. And then the day I lost it to Triple H, they then gave him a brand new undisputed title. Yeah, that was one. the undisputed right. title, <laughs> amalgamation <laughs> of the two. I was the last guy that had to carry both yes, those things you around. Were. Yeah. <laughs> so when did you kind of graduate uh, out of uh, Memphis? Did you go make some stuff for for WCW first, or for WWE, or for both? I was kind of on the tail end of the um, the WWE breakup. We call it that they had uh, become unhappy that Reggie wouldn't sign a contract. He'd never signed a piece of paper to make anybody a belt. He didn't want to start. And there were a couple of other issues there where he would make those designs for anybody that, that asked him. And you're talking still in a mostly pre-internet age. So, you know, I was kind of in on that stuff, but they all still had Reggie's name on them. And, and uh, I was just the, the protege. So, you know, I did some stuff, I think around that time, you know, some stuff in Japan. I, mean, I think GHC has started popping up global honored crown and probably some of the earlier new Japan stuff and, and things like that, you know, and then there's always the indie shows, which had gotten bigger and better. Mm. And so, you know, there's that. And then gosh, NWA, TNA, UFC from the time that the Zufa organization had bought out UFC, they came to us and we started making their belts and they would order six, and we finished those six, they'd order six more. And we did that for 10 years. So that was a steady job in itself. And that kept Reggie and I both busy doing those for years. So you, you have that. And in the meantime, TNA pops up and you do everything for them for years. And WWE comes back around and uh, start doing stuff for them again. And, um, you know, it's just, and in the meantime, we had collector licensing deals to make belts or, you know, WWE handmade replicas. Mm. And we did that for years. And back when you could still use the old classic logo that everybody to this day still wants and they, and go to bootleggers for, cause we can't legally make them anymore. Oh yeah. So, you know, it was always something. And then you just branch out. And uh, of course this is later, more recent years, but we've, you know, you end up doing stuff for television shows and lip sync battle television show and, I will always forget something. Madonna. Madonna came to us and we made her a string of belts to, both for album covers and for and for her to wear on stage during tours, including one corset custom version of a championship belt. That's amazing. So, you know, it's, it's, it's always something. And my, my favorite later on, this is sometime probably only 10 years ago or so, something, but, you know, so I finally got to do a kiss belt. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what, what are you doing the belts for? Just for souvenirs or, or are they, like you mentioned, the Madonna, she's using this as a set piece. Correct. For her show. Yeah. Hard candy album cover. And then for that tour, she had one for stage wear. Wow. That's really interesting. So when she comes to you once again, does she have any design ideas? Or I mean, obviously you're not talking to Madonna herself. It's her costume it's her designer. fashion designer, yep. costume designer. But what are they? What are they saying to you? Uh, the only thing that that was, uh, she was doing this M dollar with the dollar signs thing, and they they liked the dollar sign idea. And really, other than that, no. And uh, my business partner and art designer Rico Man, he 
Rico worked with them with the costume designer and and he came in he came in a little over gosh he's been with us over 20 years now but he he came in and just you know drew up a design that they liked and just blingy you know full of cc's everywhere cubic zirconias all over it dollar signs <laughs> and that's really how it goes i I'd, lo- I'd love to take credit for that and i get called a belt designer and the truth is that i've made more than i could ever count but i've designed very few i just i just look in and say i don't really like that can we take that off or can we add something different mm. you know because uh you have guys that have a lot better art qualifications than i do for that um, i'm a pretty good leather guy and i'm pretty good with uh, metal work and a uh, little gold plating here and there and setting stones and that kind of thing. But you don't want me trying to draw something in uh, Adobe Illustrator or Corel draw. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that guy. <laughs> do you do these, uh, like, do you have a, like a, a shop that you go to, to to work at or do you do it in your, in your garage or where do you do these? For years and years, I, I just worked out of the garage in my house. And now in the house that I've been in for about the last eight years, I actually have a big shop behind my house hmm. it's, it's just a big workshop that it stays to this day very cluttered and i don't you know i don't even actually take collector we, we made just countless collector belts and we lost our original engraving company unexpectedly just one under some some sort of mismanagement issue or something there uh several years ago and that caused a real backlog so i stopped taking collector orders a few years ago and I still have some things to make right there because it got to be so jammed up while I'm doing all this company work. So I'm always working on that and I'm doing things, uh, you know, when uh, the Young Rock television show or Chris Jericho called, then you you do this work. It keeps the lights on. Right. It keeps your name out there. But these days, that shop will still stay cluttered up, even though <laughs> at one time I was making all the WWE belts and I started off making AEW belts. And so I had reason in all the, these UFC belts and on and on and on. Bellator MMA. I mean, I will always forget something if you ask me who all I've worked for. But yes, original question, big shop out, out uh, that all I have to do is walk up a little hill behind my house to get to. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. ask you this dave when you're doing let's say you mentioned the aw championship the first one i know you made that one you make a wwe championship title and you make a ufc championship title how do you make them all different you know because the aw belt is amazing it's, it's really well made it looks different from a wwe belt like how do you get into the mindset of not making them similar when there's only so many options you can have when you're doing a championship belt. Yeah, it, and it's a good question because for years we did that old Reggie way of there are similarities in a lot of them. And we still do little trademark things that kind of tie them together that maybe only belt collectors or people like me will notice. But WWE years ago wanted to own everything. That was another part of the come apart with, with Reggie in about 90, 96, 97. They wanted to own everything, and uh, we wouldn't give up those rights. Like a trademark for the for the image of the belt, you mean? Correct, so that they can use it for for, for merchandise. You know, which makes sense. Right. It's just that 
you know, we've been a part of these iconic pieces and we don't want to give them up because sure. that's how we're going to continue to make our living. Right. And so at, at that point, it, it started changing because they would come to you with when, like when they came back to me in 07, 08, whatever it was, they came back to me and they wanted me to make their stuff, but they own these designs. And so I didn't have to come up with the designs. I'd have to tweak them sometimes to make them work with our process, but they own them. And so you had that aspect where they just already had their art with somebody in their offices drew up and they just want you to make it. And then you have somebody like um, AEW comes along and the people that we were working with there when, uh, when it started up really liked the idea of the old Bill Watts North American championship belt, which is a huge belt for anybody that doesn't know, look it up. It's, it's gigantic. The last, the last version of the North American championship out of the Watts territory, the Mid-South territory. But of course, they don't want to look like that. They just wanted the idea of the huge belt, something that makes a statement, something that's not like anybody else or, you know, nobody else has something like this. Mm -hmm. And we just uh, that's where, where Rico comes in again. He came up with the art, went through a few versions. We usually do. Got the one that Tony was happy with. And to me, and it it depends because, you know, some people don't like the gigantic championship belts or whatever. And um, some people do. And to me, it's the most impressive thing on television. And that's, I'm Mm -hmm. not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm actually, I'm actually patting Tony on the back and and AEW management there for making a statement Mm -hmm. that they have the most expensive most impressive championship belt on television that was stolen <laughs> <laughs> i remember the day after it was won. yeah it was such a crazy story that was but when we were talking about this and it's actually very interesting when we were talking about the belt being stolen i remember at one point they asked the cops like, how much is it worth how much was it worth how much is it worth for getting a brand new title like that? I don't remember the exact number, but you're you're five figures into it, you know. Yeah, you're ten thousand plus into into it because of all the layers and all the stones that were set, and the custom artwork and the rush job and the whole bit. It's it's a five figure championship belt. Yes, it, it's almost like I was laughing. It's like it's like owning a fifty nine Les Paul. You can steal it. But who are you going to sell it to? Who are you going to sell it to? Right? There's only like, you know, 30, 59 less Pauls in the world. So if somebody has one, you're going to know where it was taken from. And that's why I was like, what are you going to do with this title? Who are you going to sell it to? And that's why I just ended up, you know, back in my possession. It was the craziest thing ever. Was, you know, I did a whole podcast about that. But it was really one of those things of who's going to, who, what are you going to do with it? You know, it's really nothing you can do. Well, and we had so many ways of identifying it from my maker's mark to there were no copies of it at the time. You know, the thing right. with these, with the, the bootleggers, most of which are based in Pakistan, is they'll put a cheap version of something up in the first week after it debuts. Yeah. But if you're holding it up close, you know it's a cheap, nothing happening knockoff. And whoever had this thing, whoever stole this thing, was stuck with it. Who are you going to do? You show it, you know. And if two people know it, it's not a secret. So who are you going to show it to that's not going to rat you out? And I think probably right. that's eventually why you ended up with it back so quick is somebody got cold feet really quick and thought, I've made a mistake here. Right. Realize what are you going to do with it? So let me ask you this. When, when you do the the original, like you said, it's tens of thousands of dollars. And then you're going to do, like you mentioned, you were doing custom orders for people that obviously want a replica. What What's different about the replica from the original? You know, nobody's going to nobody's going to have one of that of that particular title. But um, when we copy the old winged eagle titles, we do it the exact same way. 
You know, we, mm. we do those the exact same way that they were made for the company back in the day. There's no quality difference when you're. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. When you're paying the top dollar for the for the real handmade belt, you get the real handmade belt. And are people paying like you know, if it's 10 grand, they pay the, they pay the 10 grand or whatever? Well, maybe? you know, we stopped doing that because right. of the logo issues and that sort of thing. And people don't want the the altered logos. They want the old original classic logos and stuff. But the resale market on them is crazy. You can go ten grand easy on an old, you know, say wing deagle, or you know, probably six, seven, eight grand for a, a, a copy of the Intercontinental title that's done the authentic way. Um, because we're not we're not currently making new ones. Mm-hmm. You know, you get this busy and things fall through the cracks, and then you have you realize, okay, there's an Intercontinental belt I didn't make, and I've got to make it. Well nobody's going to come after you for making things right. And you have to do that. But as far as offering them to the public, we're not, we're not even doing that anymore. So the ones out there on the resale market, it's crazy just to see seven, eight, ten thousand, twelve thousand dollars for a, a belt that was never even used in the ring. So you have enough business now where you don't have to make those customs anymore. You have enough business from companies and you, you said your, your garage is cluttered. There's that much of a demand. Yeah. It's, it's really, um, to be honest, Chris, I don't. Um, I will always do it, just as Reggie did all the way through his life. But I, things have changed so much. I don't make my living really in the championship belt business anymore. I make my living more in the championship belt licensing business. How do you mean? Well, because you know you have you have video games and you have toys and you have replica oh. championship belts, and I am backlogged right now. I probably have somewhere near. On the end, oh my gosh, you get on the internet and it's like, oh, he owes people hundreds of belts. No, but I do owe somewhere between 35 and 40 out still right now to make right. And that, um, you know, so I'm always trying to do that. In the meantime, uh, Mac truck calls, you know, the rocks people call and, and you do these things because you have to. So what does Matt, what does Mac truck want? Mac truck wants a belt. They want a belt for a, for a uh, competition they're doing and a video thing. And it's, Jeez. and it's a high end more expensive than some of the wrestling companies order. So interesting. So you don't say no to that stuff because it doesn't make sense to say no to that stuff. So I'll always be a championship belt maker and my shop will probably always look like that. (laughs) But, um, you know, primarily I do things to, to protect uh, what Reggie started and then what I helped finish and what I helped build. And uh, so again, toys, video games, replica championship belts and that sort of thing is very much a part of, of what I do now as much as, as the handmade belts. I'm very content to, and I, I'm not complacent, but I am content when people say, well, what are you making right now for WWE? I'm not making anything for WWE right now. And that's mm-hmm. not a contentious or ugly situation. It's kind of a relief because they have a title for everything. At, right. That would consume my time. I made a deal with AEW uh, where they own the designs that, that we did for them. Again, this is not a, a bad relationship. This is not something where I'm not and I'm in touch with them literally today on a business deal. So hmm. there's not people look at it and say, oh, they, they don't want to use them anymore. It's just Internet crap. There's no right. this, this business. And so we do business, you know, and yeah, sometimes yeah. things make sense and sometimes they don't. And when they don't, you shrug it off and you shake hands and you go back and you wait for the next deal to come along. And that's just, that's just what it is. 
so you know it's the, the licensing thing and, and that's be- and that's because you own the trademark for the images correct right gotcha and you can you can go buy a bootleg of most of them on eBay for, I don't know, 200 bucks, 300 bucks or whatever. But you can also go down, you know, you can go to Cancun and probably get a fake Rolex real quick. Uh, on a- well, yeah. <laughs> I, I could, I could take a picture of the Mona Lisa and hang it on my wall. Yeah, you know? Right. <laughs> right. Right. I, and I, and I want to pick it on Cancun. I just, I, I thought about a friend of mine who was there one time when somebody's trying to sell him watches. So. <laughs> That's true. Um, so, so yeah, you can, you can do that, but what you can't do is replace our history. Uh, and I say ours, not just mine. It's not just my history. I'm, I'm only part of it. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Have you ever been contacted directly by one of the wrestlers to make a belt for them? Oh, sure. Sure. You don't get it very much because they, they either held on to something, you know, or or a lot of the guys, and you know this, don't, don't really keep uh, mementos like that is the word I was looking for, right. Right. you know, because it's just, it's just going to work mm-hmm. for, for mm-hmm. some people and other people, you know, Reggie did a lot of stuff for, for Bret Hart. And I love that, that Brett cared enough to, to keep that. I also don't, I also understand the mindset of people who don't want to keep it and think it's just another day at work. But when you respect, you know, when, when you've held those, those titles and again, nobody knows this better than you, that's the confidence in you to lead, sure. lead this company, be the face of this company. Yep. And whatever that company may be, whether it's AEW, WWE, New Japan, whatever the case is, when you're handpicked, when you're picked to be that guy, because in some cases you aren't past the torch, you took it, mm-hmm. you know, then I don't think it's being a mark for yourself to be proud of an accomplishment. It's still an accomplishment. It's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. I always say it's like, well, you didn't really win the title. Well, you really did. It's just like you win an Oscar because somebody deems that your performance was the best. Yes. And you need to be, you know, acclaimed for that. So for me to win an Oscar and go, well, I don't keep those things around. I'm just, that's just being a mark. I disagree. When you win a, a title, especially a world championship, that's the company deeming that you are the best guy for the job, just like being a best actor or whatever it may be. So I totally get that. You know, I used to have, in my other house, shadow box versions of all the belts on the wall. And then I moved houses and I didn't do that again. But I don't see anything wrong with that. No, I don't either. And, and I, I also completely understand the mindset uh, of it was another day at work. Uh, some people are always going to see things that way. But but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I've heard a little bit of everything. But I, I just feel like if, if you've accomplished that and you want to mark that, you know, because for the ones of us that have kids, you know, I have a... 32 year old and a 30 year old mm-hmm. and have never actually, despite uh, running some shows and being involved on the fringes of the wrestling business for many, many years at different times, both of them, you know, have just said, Hey dad, can I have this to put on the wall someday? You know, and I'm glad that they're, that I've given them something to be proud of. So when you're the guy that was the face of a company, maybe someday, you know, maybe someday your, your kids are going to want, uh, something to, to you know have a memento or a, uh, to mark that occasion you know oh, when, my, when my son was uh, in high school he played football 
and whoever got like the sack or the good play, they, he'd bring this belt right there, the the, the Jericho Cruz <laughs> Rock and Wrestling Rager, and hand it to whichever kid did a good play, and the kid would run around with the title. It was a big thing. Hey, Dad, I can borrow the belt this week and say, "Sure, take it." Yeah. So like, and they don't care that it's a Jericho Cruz belt. It's a it's a it's a wrestling belt. It looks cool. So you're right. My nephew is a is a, a high school baseball coach, and I've given him a couple of replicas over the years because he says we just want something for team leaders, whether whether you you know whether RBIs or whatever yeah. you know. And he said, Cause, "So can I? Do you have something laying around that you can give me that uh, you know just to make the boys feel good, make the kids feel good?" And so I've done that a couple of times too, just for things like because you're right, they don't care that it's a it maybe a winged eagle championship or a, a Jericho Cruise belt. They, they're just happy to have something to shine to hold over their head. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Exactly. So do you have like some, some interactions with the boys, with the wrestlers, with the titles, like things that stand out to you of being some pretty fun experiences over the years from, from doing what you do? I, it's funny because I've been around the wrestling business for so much of my, of my life. And the main interaction that I had that stuck out with me about a championship belt is actually not one that I made or, or even that Reggie made, but, um, Gosh, sometime in the in maybe the mid nineties, Jerry Lawler had given me his original nineteen. He first won it in nineteen seventy four. The belt was made in I think nineteen fifty two, and somewhere along the way, the main plate had been taken off and used for something else. And he gave me the pieces at his house one day to this belt, and he said, "Do you think you can fix this?" And I said, "Yeah." Sure, and fix it. And I got it home. I looked at it and said, you know, thoughts. Can I fix this? <laughs> but, <laughs> but I did, and uh, and I took it back to him. And you got to know that, despite holding many many of them, he's not a guy that decorates his house with them or that sort of thing. But I took it to him at TV one morning in Memphis, and he sat with the belt on his lap for the longest time, staring down at it. And then he got up. And he walked around the room. Uh, he walked out of his dressing room. He always had his king. Always had his own personal room. But he, he walks out and he goes out in the the main dressing area and he's showing the boys. And he said, "You know, look at this. This is the thing is probably six inches tall in the middle. But it was what it was. It was his start. And I've never seen him uh, show any real emotion about a belt before until that day." and to walk around and show the boys and, and make sure that they understood. It had four real diamonds in it. I do remember that. It was handmade by a jeweler in Jackson, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. But for something that I didn't make and had no real connection to it, then I did grow up seeing it some until it was retired in the late 70s. But I think that's the, the main one that will always come to mind because he it made him care again. Mm-hmm. He cared about that. It wasn't just a prop and it wasn't just – uh, I think it brought back a whole lot of memories for him really quick of when he was getting started and got his first push. And, uh, yeah, so he, he walked around the dressing room showing the boys the belt and, and telling them some of the history of it. And I, thought, I just thought that was very cool because when you've done everything that he's done, he'll, he'll walk by them and barely give them a glance most of the time, which is understandable. And uh, not that day. That day, he, that day he showed everybody. That made, meant something to him. It yeah. meant something. Um, when you, I mean, because that's the thing. I mean, the, the the titles used to be, you know, everything. We talk about them now being props, but when you go back to when when Ric Flair held the NWA championship. It's like you would have to put a bond down on those things for whatever it was, twenty thousand dollars or thirty thousand dollars, in case you stole it. 
Yeah, that's it, right. Exactly right. And it was it was uh, it was a bond to cover the championship belt, and it was a bond to make sure you do business when it was time to do business. Right. And it was a very right. smart thing on the alliance's part. But it's also how Rick ended up keeping that belt for many years until it, it ended up uh, on an office wall later. But that's that's how that's the loophole that Rick kept the belt on when they wanted it back. Right. Like, okay, give me my money back then. <laughs> yeah. No dice. No dice. <laughs> um, let's talk about about the Jericho Cruise title. Like I said, because we've been doing this for I think two or three years now, where it's like the ultimate VIP experience, and we've made you know, three separate ones of, of this, you know, exclusive belt that you can't get, get anywhere else. And that's by design. I, I only wanted 20 or 30 of these things to be made in the entire world. If you have one, you have one. If you don't, you, you, you never will. So when you get a call like that, kind of go through the whole experience of how you would make a belt. And let's use the Jericho cruise belt because I have one right in front of it. If you don't remember, I can show you all the different little plates yeah no i do and uh and we're and we're doing uh 30 more of them <laughs> 30 more this year exactly yeah. Right? yeah you know your team actually comes to us with kind of an art package we want this incorporated that incorporated and they and they have a lot of stuff ready for us so that that helps a lot uh, and then it gets turned over, uh, uh, as I've mentioned to, uh, before, to Rico, and Rico puts it into something, and then we send it back to your team. And sometimes we'll ha they'll say, "Well, tweak this, tweak that." And actually, I, I guess I've never asked you. Uh, you know, we text from time to time, but I guess I've never asked you how involved you are at, at looking at that, or you just wait and see it when when it shows up. No, I mean anybody that you know that knows anything about me knows that I'm involved every step of the way, from the idea of it to what do we got and here's dave's idea and i think sometimes i think i'll say like add i think this one i said add some green around the edge as an outline I or remember. something like that yeah to yeah. make it pop right yeah. yeah yeah so that's that that all comes from me like your original design and i just have a couple little details to kind of make it stand out a little bit more from from what i recall yeah we'll get we'll get kind of a, a little bit of an art package from your team to incorporate things into it and then sometimes uh again they'll get kicked back and they'll like we'll put some orange here put some green here mm. and that sort of thing and and then but we you know then we go through the getting the the plates the plates etched and made and then there's just a whole bunch of leather work and a whole bunch of assembly and a whole bunch of touch-up paint and a whole bunch of you know that sort of thing but it's the same it's 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 basically the same process and and these are are all etched but I will tell you this, it's it's by far the most intense paint job. This We're on the third year of doing them. Mm -hmm. And this is a compliment because it's different and it stands out. These mm -hmm. are the most intense paint jobs. Think about the titles you've held, how much paint are on them or not, you know. Not really much at all. Like we're talking about, and the paint adds, to the, these belts are very colorful. Very colorful. The cruise belts. I think that's the reason why, they right? They stand out. They stand out. You're not going to mistake it for anything else. It doesn't look like anything else, which is very smart. And it's, it's, it's great branding. And it's just that Jericho way of doing things. And it stands out. And nobody's going to mistake it for anything else, which is what you want. Mm -hmm. And so that's it. And just, just lots of color. Uh, and I, and I, I love it. Uh, and each one is different. So that's a good thing, too. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. 
Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. So when you make, you mentioned you make like the template. If you're making 30 of them, you make a template and then each one kind of is stamped with that template that's how you make the design or you're doing you're not doing each every belt by by hand those are actually we just we just have a deal uh with that particular engraving company that's doing those and so they they're always going to send them to me where i've got some things that i'm like okay that didn't turn out right and so i'm going over you know fixing those paint jobs and that and that sort of thing but i get a little help on the paint on those whereas it's which i usually don't usually i hand paint everything but the colors are so intense that I have to go back over and hand paint each one of those two in some areas because they're just never going to get it completely right. Uh, but there's just so many. Nobody else orders 30 belts. <laughs> you know, we've right done, on. we, not at one time. I mean, we've done, certainly we've done many more than, than, than 30 for different companies, of course, but uh, not at one time. You know, that's, that, that's a Chris Jericho thing. Was that something that kind of might have deterred you from taking the job at first? I don't want to sound like... Uh, uh, I don't. I don't want this to come off as as arrogance, but it, for some people, yeah, probably because you can you can get into a situation where it's more trouble than it's worth. If gotcha, but but in a situation like this where there's a partnership and an understanding on going forward and doing keeping our business going together and that sort of thing and branding, you know, mm-hmm. in my world, my name means something and your name means mm-hmm. something everywhere. So it makes sense to do it. I'm fortunate that um, when I need to say no to a project like this, if it doesn't make sense for me, that I, it's, it's okay. I can do that. But it doesn't make sense to say no to projects like this mm. because it's good for everybody. It's good for everybody. And it's good for, for the fans on the cruise that get a Chris Jericho belt made by Dave Milligan. Right. You know, so it's, it, it's a win it's a win-win or a win-win-win in this case. You know, it works out for all of us. So it makes sense to do it. Well, that's what I liked about it because w- when I f- first did the Kiss Cruise, uh, where I got the idea for the Jericho Cruise, Paul Stanley would have a, a VIP experience and sell uh, specially branded guitars. The VIP experience, you'd get a, a Paul Stanley Kiss Cruise guitar. And I was like, well, what's my version of a guitar? A belt. A title belt, it's, it's perfect. But, but once again, I don't know how easy it is to slap some art on a guitar or actually have to make these titles from scratch. So sometimes my ideas are pretty grandiose, but you were able to create that vision and, and make it make it work. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I, I like being that go-to guy. You know, we have projects right now for Ric Flair. We just finished projects for The Rock. Or for the Rocks television show. Yeah. When you asked me uh, earlier, and I, I kind of brain farted a little bit about interactions with the boys when Stone Cold Steve Austin comes to you for a line of of personally branded belts. There's no better feeling in the world. Uh, again, mm. and you know, one of the best people that I know. Yeah. So Chris Jericho, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Ric Flair, Jerry Lawler. When you've been around as long as I have, it's not like. Oh my God, these guys are called. It's not that. It's a respect thing. My name is out there. These, you know, it's, it's, everybody has to start somewhere. And the guys, the guys that are making belts, some of them are making belts on television shows right now. Mm -hmm. Good for them. Hey, man, there's no hate in me, you know? Right. right. (laughs) Uh, I'm very comfortable where I'm at, but I'm, I'm also 
proud to be that guy. I'm that guy that Chris Jericho is going to think of or Ric Flair is going to think of or Stone Cold Steve Austin is going to think of. I'm fortunate in that you can't replace my history in this business. And so, you know, I'm fortunate to be that guy that, that you guys come to. And it means something to me. And I don't mind saying it. It's, it's an honor to, to be that guy, to be in that position. But also, you know, nobody handed me this. I've worked for a long time mm-hmm. to get here. Sure. Last few things for you, Dave. Just out of curiosity, how do you get the, the plate to stay on the leather? So we have actual machine screws hmm. uh, in most cases. We, we use other, other kinds of posts, but by and large, it's actual machine screws. And depending on what we're doing, because we have uh, some plates that are based in brass, we have some that are based in zinc, that sort of thing. So some are actually soldered to the back uh, with a special silver solder. Some are actually welded hmm. to the back. And so that's how we have machine screws. Then you put it through the leather and you uh, you have to make sure that it's not sticking up too much. So that's a lot right. of handwork too. It's a whole bunch of handwork. And it's a, you know, I think people probably don't understand what a, a dirty, grimy, nasty job this can be when you're out there grinding down hundreds of bolts at a time, you know, trying to, to get through that process before you put the backing leather on to keep it all nice and smooth. And, and uh, you know, you, nobody wants the back of the belt to be ugly either. So you have to work at that. Well, that's the thing. If you're screwing it on, they have to be short enough that you're not going to get stabbed when you put the title on. Yeah. But long enough where they're going to be able to hold that plate because that's a very heavy plate on that. And what happens is that they have to be long enough to get through and you tighten the nut down on it. And then you have to shear it off and grind it to a, a suitable, you know, again, where it's not uncomfortable or where it's not ugly, you know, aesthetically it has to be there, but it also, you know, for, for somebody that actually wants to put it on, you don't want it stabbing them. So mm-hmm. it's got to be ground down to a point where, you know, it's suitable for that. Something just popped in my head when we were talking, um, mentioning how long you've been doing this for. Did it make a difference when everything kind of switched from from SD to HD, high-definition television? It did. Something you wouldn't think about. Like, did, How did you deal with that? Well, I'll tell you, it actually was beneficial to me. And again, I'll go to, to WWE because it was the only example I have of it, of it being a thing. But I would watch the television shows in those days. And I would say, you guys have broken a bolt on the Intercontinental title. Use the backup belt because, you know, they would have – between two and five of, of everything, yeah. you know, you know, this, you, mm-hmm. you re- or come back in that era and had, had titles. And so you have the road belt. Yeah. <laughs> you have the one you got, you know, the, te- the talent's going to keep with them. You have the HD belt, which you picked up at gorilla. And then they usually had some on the truck. Yeah. But I, but I actually use it to my advantage because I would say, okay, you guys have broken a bolt or you've chipped the plating all the way down to the bare metal on this one. You can send it back to me or, keep it and just order another one, but you need a, you need a new one. So I use it to my advantage. It didn't as much change how, how we did things because by then we're as, as good as we're probably going to get, but it did really help me as far as noticing things that I probably wouldn't notice in the pre HD days. Yeah, you're right. There was the road belt and the TV belt and the TV belt was only worn on TV and to be polished and uh, all nicely uh, gussied up uh, for the TV. Yeah. And then you take the other one on the road. <laughs> yep yep i would i was uh you know sometimes they'd stockpile a little bit and say you know what i think we're gonna put another intercontinental belt or another wb championship belt on the on the truck mm-hmm. 
just for now, you know. And so uh, just in case. Know, we, did, we played that game for a long time. Yeah. Uh, last few questions for you, Dave. What's your favorite title that you've ever made? This is going to sound convenient, but my favorite in terms of making a statement, making an impact is the AEW title. Mm. And, you know, we made a couple of the New Japan uh, IWGP belts that are probably – going to stand the test of time, even though I think by now they've replaced it, but going to stand the test of time as being some of the best looking belts too. But I legitimately believe that the AEW title is the best looking belt on television. And so personally, I think that's it. I've, I get credited with so much that really didn't originate with me, originated with Reggie and I might've carried that torch, but of the ones that have originated with me and there have been a bunch of them, but to me, that one stands out. And it's not just the convenient answer or the politically correct answer, because I would tell you the truth. Mm. If it's, I've made a lot of belts I don't care for because that's just what somebody paid me to do. But I think that one stands out. And I think that would be it. Just because of the detail, because of how big it is, how big the plate is. You're never going to mistake it for anything mm, else. Right. It's branding. I did a, I did a video with UFC several years back. Before it's funny, they had me do this soundbite that they used on television and on their programming about the UFC championship belt and what the what it meant as far as the the symbol because everybody knew what that belt looked like, and they had me do this soundbite. And for some reason, uh, shortly after, decided somebody somebody in that company decided to change it to a belt that's more cookie cutter. And I'm not trying to be ugly; it's not sour grapes. It just is what mm-hmm. it is. And I thought. What a horrible mistake, branding-wise. Right. And in this case, that belt makes a statement. Mm. When you see that belt, you're never going to see it even at a distance and say, oh, what belt is that? Right, 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 right. It makes a statement. You're going to see it. I don't care what arena you're in. I don't care what building you're in. I don't care if it's on the street. When you see that that belt, it makes a statement. And I think that's exactly – I think that's what Tony wanted, and I think that's what he got. And uh, – you know, I'm very proud that that started with me. Yeah, it really is a great looking belt in all ways, shapes, or form, for sure. Maybe not so much fun to carry around, but it's, it's a heavy one. It's fun to look at. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, last question. What's your favorite belt ever? Is there one that you, that you like that you think is the best one? My favorite belt ever is the belt that got me into doing this in the first place. <laughs> nice answer. It is. It, it's absolutely true. It, it was the... Um, in this case, the version was the AWA Southern Heavyweight Championship belt. It was one that debuted in late 1981 and was used for, gosh, probably almost 10 years. But it's an old Reggie belt. And if you look up the AWA Southern Heavyweight Championship online, you'll see it. And it's uh, it's very basic by today's standards. And, you know, people would consider it small by today's title. You know, look at today's title belts and think, oh, it's so small or it's whatever. But that's the one that caught my eye. And I'd watched wrestling off and on with my, my older brother for years. But one day I turned on the TV and there's that belt and you got Dutch Mantel and you got the King going at it over that belt and the belts just stuck right in the camera. And I was like, Oh, that's, yeah, I like that. And (laughs) I had to have one. So uh, now I think in this room, there are three of them, I think. (laughs) Originals or ones that you made? One is an old Reggie original that was used not actually in Memphis, but in Knoxville, identical to it. Because there was no TV crossovers back then, so a lot of the Reggie belts looked alike. Right. So yeah, I have I have a ring used one here, probably about fifteen feet from me. 
right now. What's the most valuable uh, lesson or, or tip that you learned from Reggie Parks? You know, I, I think it goes back to the the basics of what he said about the Mona Lisa. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, some of this process, nobody's going to acid etch uh, for environmental reasons, nobody's doing this in their home shop or garage and stuff. And some of that stuff you you have to rely on other people for that are in an industrial situation to be able to do that. Uh, even if you do oversee it, you still have to have it done there. And everything else the, from the leather and that sort of thing that's done here is in your control. And I think that um, I think that Mona Lisa thing is the one thing that stuck in my head because he said that to me probably almost 30 years ago, Mm. and it it just rings in my head so often when I'm working on a piece of leather. Uh, So I don't know. As basic as that is, that's the thing that comes to mind for me. Well, Dave, it's been great talking to you, man. You're a true artist, and I really appreciate working with you, and I love your designs every year. They're all different from from the others, but they're all connected and... uh, it's just really cool to get a chance to, to talk to you today. Man, what an honor. Thanks so much for, for having me on, man. And uh, hey, I'm looking forward to 30 more. Well, you got to go to work, go to the garage and get to work. You got 30 belts to make for me. I am literally headed there right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Thanks, man. 